1 John 2, 1 through 8. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love, tru- God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him just must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. It is the truth, its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. This is the word of the Lord. Right, we're going to um, continue in our sermon series in the book of First John. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here. And um, I don't know about you, but that prayer time was a little weird and awkward for me. Um, I don't know whether y'all knew it, but that was your opportunity to pray out loud in front of everybody. And maybe it's exactly that you did know that and you decided not to pray. Um, but when we do corporate prayers, that means it's your chance to actually say something in front of everybody. To stand up, say some prayer. And I know it's hard to pray sometimes because you get up and you're thinking, what if I say something stupid? Yeah, you might. You know, I, I run that risk every week. And sometimes I don't only run the risk, I do it. So I, I you know, I, I welcome you to pray. It's a, it's a biblical thing to pray in the assembly of the believers is kind of like the biblical phrase for that. Um, but we believe that you too have um, access to the Father um, through the Son in prayer, and we exercise that as a congregation. Some, you know, some of you not used to this kind of church. This is a brand new flavor, flavor, not flavor. Um, and uh, it, it can be kind of difficult. I mean, I'm trying to get used to it myself a little bit. One um, situation this week, I borrowed episode one and two of The Office. The Officeites are down front. Don't y'all like The Office? Where's Jeremy lending that thing? My goodness. I thought I understood you people, but my. If y'all ain't seen The Office, I'm telling you, I, I, I didn't get it. It just. I get Martin. Mm-hmm. I get all that stuff. I don't get The Office. I even get Homer Simpson. I just don't get... And I'm like, Joel, my brother came by. He goes, Howard, I don't know what these white folks are looking at. I I think we do fit. I kind of understand the office. We're like Stanley. We just kind of look like, what is going on? What these... What these crazy white folks doing in here? I mean, what, and Joel's like, Howard, I don't get it, man. I'm like, Joel, me either, man. He's like, are we dumb? Are we unsophisticated? Uh, I mean, McKellie and I, we were rolling at an episode of Sanford and Son. I, I, welcome to eclectic community. I'm still trying. I'm still trying. Laurie, Laurie that lives down the street came by like, hey, you've got to see this opening. That's how she talks. And, you know, she's like, you got to see it. Look, look. And they throw in the football around the office and somebody gets tackled and somebody gets knocked over. And she's like, that is so funny. And I'm like, okay. 
All right, let's get back serious again. This is, um, we're going to continue in uh, 1 John. And um, for those of you, again, who haven't been um, a part of this congregation, again, it's, it's a little different. Um, but we want to assure you our goal is to be true to the word of God, to express the gospel to you. We're going to continue to continue to, to expand on this overriding theme in John, this theme of real, authentic, touchable, knowable, seeable faith and relationship with the God of the universe. And over and over again, John tells this Gnostically confused group that what is spiritually true has become a living, breathing reality in Jesus. And now it's living and breathing and real uh, in, exor- in, in the body uh, of, of the church and exercise in their lives for our own Gnosticism, our own brand of postmodern Gen X Gnosticism. Let's call that a disconnected sort of living. Lives whose actions don't always match heaven's patterns. Whose belief doesn't always match our practice. That, that we do, that what we do makes us hypocrites unless we can have a spiritual life that is divorced from our physical life. Out of fear. We're just doomed or, 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 or the fear that or feeling of rejection. You and I are oftentimes driven to excuses or, or some crazy spiritual answer or some. Well, you know, um, th- this is the way I do it. And and God, if he's God, he, he understands me. God just he just cares. And, and I can't do any better kind of thing. Or we throw stuff like I'm different than the rest of the world or, or I'm doing a new thing. Or have you ever heard this? We in the New Testament now, we, we, we drop uh, with, with understanding words that, that we will revisit today. We drop words like freedom and grace and love to explain away our misguided acts. We live in faith that how we are or what we do doesn't really matter. To that confusion, John is saying this. Repeating and echoing this thing. God came in the flesh. He came to this world really. God comes to change our flesh, our world, our actions right now, right here, right in you. Uh, That a real knowledge, let's say a, a believing faith in God starts here. Knowing God is evidential. You can see it. And what John is saying here is it does matter what you do. Look with me at verse 3 in chapter 2. It says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what his com- do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. It is clear here that John is saying that, that if we claim to know God, the, the creator God, the, the God of Jesus, the, the God of the Bible, that it is evidenced. It comes out in what we do. 
the Bible used clearly here, use words clearly here, like, like obey, like do, like walk. In other words, your everyday living, your, your, your life choices, uh, speak reality. They authenticate you. Your actions are inseparable from your life philosophy and mission. But more than that, the scripture is saying your confession and profession as a God knower is evidenced by what you do or don't do. Now the Gnostics were known to be um, some of the most mystical people of the day. It's because they were so wrapped up in these kind of formulaic uh, spiritual uh, journeys where there's deep meditation or there again these these kind of spiritual formulas and chants you could do to connect with that big spiritual thing and maybe it's Jesus maybe it's God that they felt like as long as you were kind of spiritually in tune with things you could your your physical life or your actions didn't matter that you could live any way you wanted as long as the spiritual thing was right they would say, just just hear and meditate and be impressed by, by what I say I believe and, and how I know the spiritual world so well. But ignore the way I'm living. And John is saying, no. Show me you know the God of the Bible by actually listening and thus living as he says. You know what Gnostics are in Christianity, right? They're hypocrites. They're, they're philosophical, religious bipolars. Okay, okay, I think John says it best. They're liars. They're liars. You know, the number one complaint I hear about church as a pastor is this. And um, the, 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 the pastor said one thing and what? He lived another or, or, or those church people talked about love and heaven, but they were mean as hell. They didn't care. They talked all good, carrying their Bibles, looking all nice. But then when you got to the nitty and gritty, they were the meanest, some, let's call it, evilest people in the world. And there is a whole group of people out there that have walked away from the church because people say they know God, but they live like they don't. And some of you, like me, have become disillusioned. I had this discussion. Oh, man, I, I told you last week, sometimes I, I, I don't like people to know what I'm doing. You know, when I'm out at a coffee shop working on some scripture stuff or something like that, I, I like to hide in the corner. I don't want people knowing because I, I, I can't get any work done. And then the people want to talk and prove themselves to me or something. So it happened. This guy who was doing the floors in this one place came up to me and he was like, you know, man, uh, what you working on now? Oh, no, here we go. I'm just studying a little bit. Thought that'd be enough. I mean, no, no, man. Um. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh boy, here we go. So he began to tell me, you know, he didn't go to church anymore. But after he told me how he involved he was, you know, I used to be a deacon and I used to be this and I used to open a door for the church and I used to be all this. I knew what was coming next. He began to tell me, you know, I used to go to church and because I, I thought these people knew God. I thought they were God's people that they really didn't live 
like that. It's why many of us can't come all the way into the church. It's why we can't be a membered part of this thing. We have this whole new anti-be a part of philosophy because we have this broken, failed trust that God makes and calls authentic and true people. We don't believe in signing up to be church people because church people aren't a reality. The contract with God to be a part of this thing is faulted by the fact that no one can be sincere or seriously or really know God and and lead and take care of us. In in this hypocritical world, we think I must get God on my own and come visit and be a part of church when I feel like it. Let me tell you what that sort of thinking is really about. That you can't trust to be a part of the people of God. To, to have your life and, and their, their, your life watched together in the light of what God is saying. And here is the bottom line. If you can't do this thing, maybe you don't know God either. Back to the coffee shop guy. I told him that he had been hurt or disillusioned by the people. But now his knowledge of God was shattered. Because no matter how you flip it or fold it, we know who God is by how God's so-called people act. And John, John is doing two things that I want us to get here. Number one, your knowledge of God is wanting and waning and untrue, not real. If your life is not lived, as he says, if your attitude is crummy, if you do not do what his word says to you. Secondly, it isn't God that was a liar It was a liar whose life lied about a God who is and speaks true and real and right for you. No, you cannot separate someone's actions from their real belief. But but, but what he is saying is you can separate the true, right and real God from a hypocritical and lying and fake person whose faith and belief in in God and a God who is real and active and right has been destroyed or or questioned or forgotten. And he is saying, regardless of your own failures to be true or others' failures to be real, there is a faithful and true God who speaks to you and calls you to really know and therefore live for and with him. As John continues to save those in his church and, and some of us here from, from giving up on real faith in God, he goes on to teach that, that not only is knowing God evidential, it is effectual. What's that mean? Uh, when you know God, uh, it changes uh, you from the outside in. John says here that, that we don't know God if we don't do his commands. If we don't do his word. That this Bible, this written document that you can read and hold and and what's now being preached and heard, that, that it speaks to our world. It is effectual. It speaks real things about your life. It says, do not murder. It says, do not steal. It says, don't sleep with someone else's wife. It is a real objective challenge and critique and call from the outside, it, it kind of rubs and hits against our behavior. It calls us out, if you will. That's why I like Sesame Street so much. How does Sesame Street get in there? Because it's not just theoretical, right? 
Think about how children learn. One of my favorite things Sesame Street does is, okay, you know where I'm going with this. So they, they got these four kids, right? And they're all in a block, all in their own box, right? You got one kid, whoop, whoop, they doing the Reebok or something, right? And then you got three, and then, then the other three kids, they doing the Cabbage Patch or something like that, right? And they say, and what, is they, what do they say? Okay, and they got the music playing, and the song goes, one of these kids is doing his own thing. One of these kids is not like the others. One of these kids is not the same. And you look at their actions and you say very clearly, this one's not right. This one's out of order. I can see it. They doing the wrong dance. They doing the wrong thing or or let, let's say maybe they're doing the right thing and everybody's doing the wrong, wrong thing. But but obviously from that one kid's actions, you can see one of these kids ain't right. It is clear by our actions or inactions whether we are either in line with the truth or out of sync with what God is saying. And it could be that you should be the kid who is different. Or you should be the one who should be in line. What is God saying? It's effectual. Even beyond the showing us of what is right and wrong. John is teaching that knowing God is effectual in this. That if we grasp the revealed knowledge of God, we will actually be changed by it. That, that the rule, that it's not just rules of living, but knowing God is power for living. It's power to be real and authentic and free in relationship with Him and others. And that's why He says this in, in, in verse 5, but if anyone obeys His word, God's love is truly made complete in Him. The love of God is it being synonymous with the revealed knowledge of God. And we'll get to that later. But the work of the knowledge of God is, is doing something on the inside that should change how we act on the outside. And it says your actions say you failed not only to know something about God, but in your believing be really changed by God. It's funny how we've come full circle. And I kind of alluded to this last week. We have, as a Gen X postmodern, I don't don't know what you call us. Some of y'all look like wires in here or whatever they call you, millennials. Some of y'all kind of young. If I'm Gen X, I don't know what some of y'all are. But it it says we, we have defined real, keeping it real, being true to yourself, being authentic as being able to know and be the true jerk you are. I'm real. I'm keeping it real. I'm authentic. I'm a jerk and I know it. You know, we, we, we've come to love and respect the brash and mean and edgy guy, you know, people as the people who must know God because they, they're so free to be their sinful, evil selves or, or rather they can smell out their sins to, to us. Confession is a new big deal for Christians. Let me tell you, you think it's popular now? It's popular when I was in college too. All the little Christian kids get together and they get this doctrine of sin and they walk around, I'm such a sinner. And the new goal is to be able to be the one who can be the most clear about their sin. You know, I can't say, brother, why'd you do that? Because I'm such a sinner. And we can lay it out. Well, I really committed this sin and that sin. And we stop right there. 
I mean, I remember, it was, it was just so funny. It was the, the ones who were raised and lauded weren't the ones who were actually doing right. It was the ones who could explain how well they were doing wrong. It's crazy. And, and maybe it's the effect of our kind of this psychological society in which we're called to analyze ourselves. But, but the person can be like, no, I just, I'm just weak sinner. That's why I did it. Why'd you stab me? Because I'm such a murderer. Why'd you call me that name? Because, brother, deep in my heart, I'm a racist. Oh, well. I'm sorry, Brownie. You've got to understand. John says, no. That person is not so incredible. You should have changed behavior with a change of heart faith. Let me get a little philosophical here. There is no self-knowledge without a God knowledge. Here's a presupposition here that when commandments are mentioned, there is a giving of identity. It's a guide of sorts, though that is not all it is, of what a right operating human being is like. See, commandments are about about how to be human. He or she is humanly secure enough not to steal and thus be able to own and care for things. They are humane. They're human enough not to kill. So commandments are about moving toward what I would describe as authentic humanness. That, that's what the God who created us and, and who wants us to redeem us from this kind of malfunction of this kind of resultant virus of sin on our human hard drive. And so he's saying to thyself be true, but, but you can only be true, let's say real, as we interface with the word of God telling and teaching and guiding us into authentic living. As the inside is really affected by the outside message, then there is an outer effect and reaction. So you can't claim to know God and your actions not matter. And you aren't keeping it real or authentically a God-knower only because you are aware of your evilness and sin and decide to live or settle that is okay or authentic goodness or Godness to live as a <laughs> sinner all your life. You don't know God. Something's missing. Something ain't clicking. John's message starts hard here. You don't know God if you ain't doing right. And you can't know him if right is not being heard. And given to you and you it can't claim to know God if the right you are hearing isn't changing how you are living. Now let me say all that stuff that I've talked about so far we hate to hear. I thought we wanted to know about grace, man. I thought this was the Presbyterian church. What about grace and love and forgiveness? We get into that. But this is true too. But it's hard. You know why? It makes us all, me included, I'm writing this thing feeling like a heel. I hadn't gotten to the end yet, but I'm writing this thing. What is going on here? I mean, me included, we, it will make us feel like hypocrites. Everybody in here, when you hear that kind of thing, you don't know God if you ain't doing right. And you ain't doing right. So it makes you feel like hypocrites. And we feel like we don't know God. Heck, we can't know God. Let's go home. 
Just forget it. Let's shut the church thing down. I mean, what is God's people about then? If you got a whole group of hypocrites hanging out together, licking all their wounds, you know, oh, it's so sinful. Ain't nobody changing. The city ain't changing. Folk in poverty, God's people go from home to here. Ain't nothing happening. Let's just forget it. And I I mean, if if you and I are are just kind of kind of stuck in this condemning dilemma of not being able to match up with God's demands and deeds. If you in neutral, if you can't go any further, if this is as far as you can go, then guess what? I don't want to I don't want to play with you guys. I mean, guess what? It may be true. You don't know God. If this is it, if you feel like, okay, that pastor, he just harped on me about if I don't know God, I don't know God. If I don't do right, I'm out of here. If that's as far as you can go, maybe you don't know God. Or maybe you've been damaged by hypocrites in your knowledge. Or maybe you've forgotten what you've come to know about him. Or maybe you haven't heard all there is to know. For whether we know it or not, in the gospel, in the work of Jesus, there is a, as John says here, a new commandment that complements the old. That brings clarity, y'all. Clarity and finality to all those old commandment stuff. And declares to us, don't walk away from knowing God. Don't give in to hypocrisy. Don't just decide to be a good church boy, a girl, faker, performer. Don't call God a liar because it seems like he's made it impossible for us for it to be to really be his people. And don't say God wants to reveal himself, but has failed to make us unable to get it. What you may not know, what makes this thing live and real is that not only is knowing God evidential or effectual, Knowing God is about a love relationship. Look with me at verse 6 and 7 here. It says here, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new commandment, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message You have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now, I know what connotation or feeling old can bring. But if we think, look closer and longer at this text, we can see that the old commandment here means old like Harvard old. Like antique old. Like, man, they made that by hand out of oak old. Not old like throw it in the garbage or out of fashion or discontinued or old or it doesn't fit anymore or it's faded old. Rather that it has a present value because it has an old age. I mean, how can I say this? The the, the commandments, the, the law, what John is saying, it's vintage God's love. It's historical love of God. That the commandments are about a heritage of God's love. The commandments aren't old to be thrown away. They're old to be kept as something that can be trusted. 
You see, the commandments that, that Adam and Moses and, and all the guys in the Old Testament, the, you know, the thou shalt nots and the rules for godly living, uh, let's call them, God's instructions of right and wrong living were never written for people to be made right just by doing them. It's never been about earning a golden ticket so that you can go in to hang out with the Willy Wonka of the universe. No, it's never been about earning that. No, the commandments have always been about the love of God and his desire to have relationship with his people. It's amazing. I mean, I grew up thinking the commandments were a way to keep people away. The commandments are a way for us to finally know God and be brought in. Do you know what the beginning of the Ten Commandments starts with? Very rarely do we remember this part. All remember is the first thou shalt not, right? You got the mean looking Moses with, with the, with the, with the stone tablets, you know? But there's a preamble to all that stuff and it goes something like this. I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt. I saved you. I'm the God who loved you when you couldn't see me. I'm the God who saw you when you couldn't see your way out. I'm the God who found you when you were in darkness. I'm the God who freed you when you were in slavery. I'm the God who got you out of a position you got yourself in and couldn't get yourself out of. Now hear who I am, that this is about a relationship that God could have just left him there. Why did he just leave him there if he just wanted to be mean to him? The commandments have never been about mean or, or alienation, but it's always been about come near, know who I am. And if you're going to hang out with me, God is saying, I want you to be real and authentic and I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to let you know who I am and I want you to be exactly who I've created you to be and not what slavery has made you. You see... The commandment from the beginning is that we obey God because we love him. But only as we realize that he's first loved us, that he's had mercy on us, that he's offered to forgive us. That's why this whole passage begins at verse one and two about having an advocate in heaven. I'm going to let you know where this thing starts. It starts with the fact that God calls and forgives people and then he gives them the, 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 the means, the, the way to be real and true and authentic and have real and true and authentic relationship with him. Here is why in knowing God it matters what we do and how it affects us or changes because it means you and I have not really experienced his grace. We throw words around like grace. Well, you know, the reason I'm not doing it, you know, I'm really struggling. I'm really a sinner. Oh, grace. Well, the deal is this. If you, if you, if you disregard the commandments, if you completely live this kind of disconnected life where I know God and I studied all the books and I know the gospel, but my life doesn't really matter how I live or I compartmentalize it as, you know, I'm just a sinner. And it never seems to have any sanctifying hope of really being one who acts like they know God. You don't know grace. You've lied to yourself. You see, John is declaring as new to a people then who were looking for how to live authentically. 
This, that, that, that really knowing God only comes by believing in Jesus. When John says here, there, here in this text that I give you a new commandment, okay? Another thing. New doesn't mean new like get rid of the old. But new as in new view. More light. Renewed. You know, I was, Kelly said, I know you're going to try to work that Superman thing in the, in the sermon Sunday. But yeah, I, I, I re-rented Superman. Um, the original 1970s version. And... Um, because I, I, I see, I saw the new one out, Superman Returns. Um, and, and so I grew up, man, this thing kind of linty. I, I grew up um, watching the um, the original 1970s one with, with Christopher Reeves and, 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 and Margot Kidder. And, 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 and so I rented it because my boys were like, man, I, I got all these questions about Superman. I'm like, okay, I'll sit down and watch it with you. So we put on Superman. And boy, that thing was boring for kids. They got all kind of philosophical. They got some. I was like, where this thing kind of deep? So I went back and what was interesting about it. Man, I thought I knew Superman until I went back and watched that old one. It was redigitized. Oh, the picture looked so clear. I could see things. And it was amazing how the new my whole, you know, how you look, you watch Smallville, which is like the new Superman. And, 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 and then you got the Superman Returns. And it's amazing how those new offshoots of the original story helped you see the original story clearer and better. But it was still the same old story that I'd seen 10. I mean, we recorded on VHS. Man, I must have watched Superman like 20 times. It's interesting how I was like, wait, there's Lana. Like there's a scene at the beginning of the old Superman where he's cleaning up the supplies and the guy goes, hey, Lana, let's go. And I'm thinking, wait, Lana, because I saw Smallville. See, Lana wasn't a big character when I watched the first one. It was just Margot Kidder, you know, Lois Lane. But here's Lana. Oh, my goodness. I'm making all the connections. It's making all the sense. You know, there are words that were saying in Superman Returns that said at the beginning. And it was amazing. John is saying, Jesus is like a digital remastering of the old, same love of God for us. When he sent Christ, it was a re-release of the love of God. You see, in his coming and in your hearing, God is reintroducing an old theme. What? That God so loved his people that he gave his son, that he gave the knowledge of himself. And without knowing him and his love, you can't love him and you can't love others. And to some degree, you won't even know how to love and care for yourself. That's why verse 5 says that those who don't obey God, the love of God is not made complete in them. The gospel is a new message with the same result in this result that God there is a relationship of love between God and his people I know y'all have seen them talk shows on TV most of those afternoon talk shows are kind of this psychological counseling kind of stuff you know they got so many counseling you, you see anybody know about this new counseling guy he got like the spiked hair and he wears this leather vest. I, I just ain't believing y'all. That don't look right. It don't look right. If, if I'm gonna end up looking like him, uh-uh, I ain't going to his counseling. <laughs> anyway, so, um, it, but every show has this kind of, I mean, we've become, I, I like to describe, our generation has become so 
it's just part of us. We we know how to talk about deep things. Well, you know, my dad didn't do this, and my mom. We we, we, we trained. You know, my parents were coming up, and and Oprah came on, and somebody came on and said, "Well, the reason I'm like this is my dad beat me." And my parents are like, did they just say it? You know, th- th- that generation is like shocked that people were admitting stuff that happened to them and how it kind of connected with, with why they're acting the way they act now. But for us, it's commonplace and we've come to believe, and I think believe rightly, that sometimes people have dysfunctionalities or, or, or do things or act out in society or, or kill or steal or, or maim or destroy because somewhere in their family life, they have not been cared for a million times over well my dad he never hugged me he never looked me in the eye and said I love you my parents they just want me to be a trophy kid they just want me to perform they only said they loved me when I got an A and you wonder why this person went and shot up the whole school well, you wonder why this person went and, 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 and began to put poison in their veins or, or do this or that. And, and you're saying, man, it all goes back to this kind of dysfunctional connection that, that they did not experience security and hope and relationship and love. And for you trophy people, any sort of forgiveness, when you forget a be, you still love. John is saying... Our lives are not a lie or performance or fake or a male moral failure or breaking of the commandments or marked with not loving others because you and I haven't tried hard enough. That's not what it is. But because we can't, we are spiritually dysfunctional. We are psychologically disconnected when we don't believe and see and remember this. God really forgives and calls you and loves you in Jesus Christ. You forever will be dysfunctional. You forever act out. You forever be unhuman in your response to other people. Because the truth is you have not known a father that loves and forgives and doesn't call his children to be trophy kids and really does look them in the eye as, as hard as they are and how mistaken they are and says, guess what? In Jesus, there is forgiveness. And yes, you can come in. The law, the commandments, and light of the gospel says you and I have missed something. You don't know or believe or have been act- impacted by what God has done in Jesus. The gospel. The good news. Jesus in word and deed is this. That at every broken commandment. That at every mean word you say. That at every evil thing you or I do against someone else. At the, every, at the end of every condemning self-attempt to be good enough, at every hypocritical turn, God does not answer with condemnation, but even with the commandments, a gospel calling of our hearts that say this, do you know how I have loved you and y'all? 
Do you know that my love is perfected toward you in Christ? Do you not know me? And our misbehavior gives him the answer over and over. No, Lord, I don't know how you have loved me. And belief is in this answer. Lord, but I trust you to tell me and teach me again through your word, through the life of your church, through your sacraments, that which is an old story made new over and over again, that you have so loved the world that I, that you gave your only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because you love me. And that love being made more and more true to us, shining on us. We actually are made alive again. To love real and true and authentic. And hypocrisy and condemnation and fear is drowned in this. That in Jesus, knowing is believing. And knowing God only comes as we really believe in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, draw us to you. We've not known you because we failed to see what your son has done. Help us to believe it. Help us to believe that Jesus really came and really calls us to real commitment and freedom and authenticity. Help us to know that if we're living disconnected, we really have not known your grace and your love and your forgiveness. Reach us this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.